Welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness. We return to our discussion regarding U.S. foreign policy and the interests of the majority populations it impacts. So Honduras and Haiti are two examples that clearly show that we and our foreign policy are on the wrong side of what's best for majority populations in both countries. We now turn to Ecuador. The government that we sought to and eventually did overthrow and knock out was the government of Rafael Vicente Correa Delgado. He's an Ecuadorian politician and economist who served as the president of Ecuador from 2007 to 2017. So when we examine that period of time, 2007 to 2017, in Ecuador, during this 10-year Correa administration, it was ended and was replaced by a U.S.-friendly Lenin-Moreno government, the preferred U.S. leader, which we helped bring to power. When you compare the subsequent government that we supported, the Moreno government, Moreno's government pursued an IMF-mandated package of reforms that has mandated the dismissal of thousands of public sector employees, reduced the size of the public sector, initiated privatization of parts of the public sector, particularly the public banking services, and slashed education and health care spending. Poverty and inequality have risen under Moreno's tenure. The level of structural poverty has increased by some 10% from 23.1% in June of 2017 to 25.5% in June of 2019. Extreme poverty has also seen a rise from 8.4% to 9.5% during the same time period. Moreover, when it comes to equality, the Gini coefficient, a measure of economic inequality, has increased from 0.462 in June of 2017 to 0.478 in June 2019, demonstrating that Moreno's policies of reducing social spending has principally benefited the rich at the direct and inverse cost to the majority population, essentially a wealth transfer from the poor to the rich. These statistics are from the Ecuadorian's revolt against repressive U.S.-backed President Lenin Moreno's neoliberal policies by Dennis Rogatuk in October 7, 2019. So Ecuador reflects the third nation in which clearly the majority population interests suffered great setbacks when the U.S. preferred government was in power versus the tenure of the Correa government that we sought to replace. The fourth example of how the United States foreign policy interests have been shown to be clearly contrary to the quality of life interests of the majority populations in countries in which our foreign policy interest intervened is Bolivia. In Bolivia, the government which our foreign policy opposed was that of Evo Morales, who served as the president of Bolivia from 2006 to 2019, some 13 years. During that period, Despite the active opposition through various channels of our U.S. foreign policy, what did the 13-year Evo Morales administration accomplish? These numbers are all sourced out by Evo in Bolivia, Bother the Empire, article of November 14, 2019 by Oscar Sanchez Serra. From 2006 to 2019, they reduced illiteracy from 13% in 2006 to 2.4% in 2018. In 13 years, they lowered unemployment rates from 9.2% to 4.1%, the lowest in the region. In 13 years, they moved moderate poverty from 60% down to 34.6%. In 13 years, they moved extreme poverty 
from 38.2% down to 15%. In 13 years, they built more than 5,000 educational centers, more than 1,000 health facilities, created financial assistance for the elderly with a dignity bonus, and for children, the Juanacito Pinto bonus, contributing to a significant increase in school retention. And the country was the fastest growing country in the region, raising the GDP to $43 billion, up from some $9 billion in 2005 when the government took office. Just like in Honduras, Haiti, and Ecuador, in Bolivia, clearly the majority population was considerably and measurably better off as a result of the 13-year tenure of the Evo Morales government. Yet all of these governments were vehemently opposed by the United States foreign policy. It begs the question, how can we profess that we are spreading democracy when our foreign policy consistently opposes and seeks to overthrow democratically elected governments that have done so much to improve the quality of life for their majority populations? Why can't we leave these countries alone instead of intervening in their internal affairs? Why do we so vehemently oppose regional agreements that these poor countries have created to help each other, such as ALBA, the Bolivarian Alternative for Latin American and the Caribbean, which basically integrated and focused on the countries of Latin America and the Caribbean to fight against poverty and social exclusion? It was established by Cuba and Venezuela on December 14, 2004, in an agreement later joined by Bolivia in 2006. In 2007, Nicaragua joined ALBA. And in 2008, Zelaya and Honduras joined the Bolivarian Alliance. This was an alternative to the United States Free Trade Agreement, in which actually it was fair trade, in which all countries benefited equally from the relationship. But this cooperative agreement, in order to fight poverty on behalf of the majority populations of these countries, was vehemently opposed and continues to be vehemently opposed by the United States and the West. Why? Well, one reason is clearly suggested because it inhibits the continued history of these powerful Western nations appropriating the wealth and the labor of these smaller nations in order to maximize their investment returns. If we cross the ocean and examine our foreign policy interventions and impact in Iraq, the Ukraine, Libya, Syria, and Yemen, are the majority populations of those countries better off or worse off as a result of our interventions? In Iraq, prior to the U.S. invasion, it had one of the highest quality of life profiles in all of the Middle East. As discussed over the last couple of Bringing Light into Darkness shows, the takeover of the Iraqi economy for the benefit of multinational corporate investment returns at the direct and inverse sharp demise of the Iraqi majority population quality of life interests, that was the undeniable outcome of our intervention there. If you include the pre-invasion sanction period in Iraq, the cumulative result has been that more than a million Iraqis have died. An invasion based on the lies of weapons of mass destruction, Iraq was harboring al-Qaeda, and Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11, all of which our mainstream media dutifully failed to expose as lies or as even unsubstantiated claims, all which enabled our illegal invasion. In the Ukraine, we promoted a 2014 coup there because their government decided that they could get a better economic package by not seeking to join the European Union, but instead to accept an economic aid package from its long-term ally, Russia. 
What was the result? A huge surge in right-wing neo-Nazism activism culminating in a new cabinet that had half a dozen or more bona fide neo-Nazis, which as a result of the U.S.-led coup brought into power the first government of Europe dominated by neo-Nazis since World War II. In Libya, Syria, and in Yemen, our armed interventions or the decisive U.S. support for our close military allies, such as Saudi Arabia's war crimes in Yemen, all have had the same irrevocable effect, namely, again, a sharp decline for the quality of life of the majority populations that live there. Not to mention that at the same time, they have created the mass displacement and refugee exodus from those nations that have disproportionately not affected the primary party of responsibility, namely our foreign policy, but instead has impacted the European allies that many of these refugees have sought refuge in. Our U.S.-led 2011 NATO overthrow of the Libyan government sought to propagandize the world and the U.S. population that we, we were doing this. U.S.-led Libyan government 2011 NATO overthrow for quote-unquote humanitarian purposes. At the time, bringing light into darkness decreed this claim as a lie based on the simple fact that Libya at the time had the highest human development index, the highest quality of life on the African continent. If that was our true motive, why would we not be promoting regime change in the other 50 plus nations of the African continent first, but instead focusing on Libya instead? As a result of our intervention and overthrow of the Libyan government, what has occurred? Among other things, Libya is a hotbed of terrorist activity and a return of slavery was reported by CNN and others. As a result of our foreign policy, the country with the highest quality of life in all of Africa has now become a nearly unlivable environment for the majority population of Libya. Yet there is no accountability for what we did to the Libyan people by leading this illegal criminal overthrow of the Libyan government in 2011. In Syria and in Libya and in Afghanistan, currently and historically, our allies have been Al-Qaeda-like terrorists. Tulsi Gabbards and Virginia Representative Richard Black are just two voices that have validated what bringing light into darkness has brought to the airwaves for the last several years, namely that we claim to be fighting terrorism Yet terrorists are some of our greatest and most reliable fighting proxy forces supporting our foreign policy interests. Our general ignorance of the validity of these claims provides the purpose for bringing light into darkness. We don't make these claims flippantly. We demand and practice responsible journalism. Claims such as these are not broadcast without vigorous research and sourcing to validate their veracity. We make these claims based on very substantial evidence that has been presented over the years on bringing light into darkness and which can be accessed by contacting Pedro Gatos at pgatos00 at gmail.com. So one of the main purposes of this show then is to give a half a dozen to, to a dozen case studies showing that U.S. foreign policy is consistently on the side of those interests that deliver poor outcomes for the majority population's quality of life. This is a remarkable understanding, and it's an understanding that most Americans really will not be comfortable hearing. However, if our foreign policy is causing such 
misery for so many people and we don't do anything about it, that seems to be the higher crime. And that is why this show is dedicated towards providing this type of information. We have faith in the American people that if they know the truth, they will act on it in a way that is responsible and humane. A hugely important question, though, is why does the American public, why have they not been made aware of these contradictions in U.S. foreign policy? What creates this darkness? A centerpiece of bringing light into darkness is our recognition that an indispensable ally to our foreign policy outcomes that consistently promote the suppression of these human rights rather than their significant improvement is our mainstream media, our main sources of information within the universe of discourse in which we all seek to get a better understanding of the world around us. Therefore, we want to share our concerns about the failure of journalism in the United States when it comes to mainstream media as well. The pejorative presentation of quote-unquote news by our major mainstream media is not by accident. We have detailed on this show how some 90% of the information made available to the United States news consumers is dispersed by media companies that are owned by just some six corporations. This is a concrete reflection of what is meant when we say those that own the material wealth of a country also disproportionately own the ideas and information of that epic. If I benefit from the status quo, I want to maintain it at any expense. The gross wealth inequality of our country and in the world, as well as all of these foreign policy reflections that we've been discussing tonight, are hidden from public view, but its impact is heaped upon our daily lives every second of our existence, whether we are conscious of it or not. Billions of dollars are invested in commercials that do much more than just sell products. They sell a way of life. They sell an American culture of consumerism and wealth accumulation in pursuit of the American dream. Another main cultural product is that they sell U.S. foreign policies and their associated interventions around the world as beneficial to humankind. The underlying principle that is inculcated to U.S. collective consciousness is that our foreign policy is driven by our national security interests in helping to promote democracy. That we might make mistakes at times, but that our foreign policy is above all good and we fight evil. But what bringing light into darkness has discovered and has reported is that our foreign policy consistently promotes unfair advantages to Western investment capital at the direct cost to the majority population's quality of life, resulting in huge amounts of human misery that are preventable. I don't want to belabor the point, but our foreign policy claims we are promoting democracy, but in actuality, we are promoting poverty and dire living conditions for much of humanity. But instead, what the American public, what we see and are indoctrinated to believe is that we are doing none of that. We are instead promoting democracy and fighting against tyranny. Media indoctrination is central to this disconnect. The truly oppressive status quo of gross wealth inequality is ignored, and the reality in which an elite financial and material interests of the world seek to maintain their privilege is never mentioned or explored. The problem is that this great wealth divide 
which affects all, but blacks and people of color disproportionately, has an inverse outcome upon the majority population of the U.S. and the world. The result is that they live lives in which their quality of lives are unnecessarily compromised due to this great wealth inequality that is religiously ignored by our major medias. There is a whole industry whose end product creation is generating a profound ignorance of these conditions of inequity and the powerful influences that create and maintain them. Whether they realize that or not is more difficult to ascertain, but it does not change the fact that they provide such an essential role in maintaining this profound unfairness and hiding it from the general public. Real newsworthy entities such as WikiLeaks and Julian Assange are falsely criminalized, not because their actions are illegal, but because of the ideas and objective information that they reveal to the world about the unreported or underreported government crimes and government deceit that they are revealing. Concurrently, there is an increasing conscious effort to post-classify documents and information, not because they will compromise our national security, but because they reveal embarrassing insights into the lies and deceit that they have perpetuated on the U.S. and world public. Most importantly, when it comes to issues concerning war, in other words, there are clear examples of making certain information classified in order to keep the embarrassing findings that they reveal from the American public, not to protect national security. But we know of these lies and the consistent pattern of these lies largely through revelations that come from sources such as WikiLeaks or from Daniel Ellsberg's Pentagon Papers, both entities providing pristine government documents, cables, empirical evidence of the deceit we've been talking about, but is kept from the American public, that revealed the truths of such deception regarding the lies we were being fed about Vietnam and Iraq and other theaters of war and intervention. The Afghan Papers, released in 2019 by Craig Whitfield in the Washington Post, that we have reviewed over the last several weeks gave us irrevocable proof of deceit and lies about the prognosis of the ongoing U.S. invasion of Afghanistan as represented by top generals and presidential administrations, including that of President Obama. Both of these, the Pentagon Papers and the Afghan Papers, explicitly detail the international lying to the U.S. public that drove the foreign policies of our country into being largely acceptable to the U.S. public. The result is that millions have died, including tens of thousands of our own U.S. troops. So, in conclusion, our direct military intervention is not generally the preferred method of our foreign policy, which is constantly evolving new forms of intervention, or what is appropriately called new forms of neocolonialism. All of this we have been witnessing since World War II, whether we see it or not. The preferred method is to have in power, or seek to place into power, leaders in third nations willing to subordinate the majority population's interests of their own country to the interests of the United States foreign policy and or the interests of transnational, multinational corporate investment. Tens of millions of dollars in soft power is invested and exerted by our U.S. foreign policy annually by the United States Agency for International Development, by grants from the National Endowment for Democracy to help bring to power these leaders in third nations willing to subordinate the majority population interests of their own country to the interests of the U.S. 
And they too, the United States Agency for International Development or National Endowment for Democracy, describe their activities as, quote unquote, promoting democracy. In other words, our foreign policy is driven by a common denominator, the result of which the majority population interests of each country is subordinated to the material, profiteering interests of a small minority. This is clearly the antithesis of democracy. Yet much of our American public is indoctrinated to believe promoting democracy truly is our foreign policy objective. Just as in our war economy, we name highly destructive missiles as peacekeepers. So we take words like democracy and throw them around and betray their meaning by using them to attain selfish material benefits. And none of this is possible without a compliant and loyal press that has abandoned the majority interests of the U.S. public, critical thinking, informational needs a long time ago. Instead of pointing out important foreign policy contradictions in and propagated by our government, the press does not ask the important questions. Instead, it leaves us in informational darkness in which, with this show, we, we try to bring light into. The result is that the American public, much of it believes that other countries are the great aggressors of the world. Yet, it's the United States, and only the United States, that has military bases throughout the whole world, some seven to eight hundred of them, dwarfing countries like Russia, which may have a half a dozen at most, outside its former Soviet Union boundaries. But this simple fact is not even mentioned by our mainstream press and therefore enabling the Russia-phobia-type mentality that pervades our news media in our country. Yet all the major war conflicts and military conflicts since the turn of the century, whether it be in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, Yemen, have they been initiated and sustained by the countries we're most critical of, or have these all been U.S.-led interventions? It's something... Dr. Martin Luther King would ask us to think about and consider before knee-jerk dismissing it as anti-American or leftist propaganda. It is a great honor to be part of Co-op Radio, which is so special because it allows the vetting of these types of ideas. I also wanted to welcome, as always, and encourage audience participation in critiquing these shows and its content. If you ever find anything that's been presented in a Bringing Light into Darkness show that misrepresents the truth, please write to pgatos00 at gmail.com and we will promptly address those issues of veracity in a most honest and forthright fashion. Thank you, and please know that we have a membership drive coming up soon, so start putting some money away. See you next week. Coming up next, do not go anywhere unless you're not on koop.org right now. Switch on over to the internet if you're on the FM dial to hear Emo Diaries with co-op's very own Stephanie at the Disco. I can't wait. And we go out as we do every week with Land of Naivety.
sociopath. 